looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shot suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. (laughs) Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com. Or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. editor's note here before we get started with the interview the movie that i referenced with a star in amanda is called the id not id uh, a little distracted and wasn't able to look at the notes at that second so wanted to make the correction here up front and apologize for that i know it's not the biggest star in the world but gotta call the things as they are and not so let's go on with the interview
doing any better today? Excuse me? Your dad. What's that all over your face then? Uh, it's just, it's just lipstick. Who do you have to look pretty for? No one, that's who. <laughs> it's really none of your business. Oh. When's the last time you even left this house? <laughs> Highlander, you know, you've done TV and film. Uh, I'll start there then. What's the biggest 
a bigger difference in that you had a lot more time on a, a movie set because the movies that I started out doing were big studio films, so they had uh, a lot. Uh, they weren't on tight schedules like like all the indie films are. So you had more time to rehearse and prepare. So now, and TV moves much faster. You're basically shooting a movie in eight days. Um, but now with this uh, explosion of young indie filmmakers that are doing these ultra low budget films or low budget films, um, there's just no time for rehearsal. So they both, uh, the prep is you pretty much, you your work is done before you get there because there's just not a lot of time. So I find that the, that nowadays there's not that much difference as far as prep, like my personal prep of um, figuring, you know, out the truth of my character and all that. I I, I uh, pretty much get it all done before I get to the set because there doesn't appear to ever be any time on the set anymore. Um, and then uh, I've always felt there's a lot more roles for women on television, although there seems to be kind of, uh, I'm noticing in the indie world, like I've been fortunate enough in the last couple of years, some really great roles have come along in the indie world, not necessarily the studio films. They still are only kind of making roles for women that are 20. <laughs> but um, but in television and the indie world, there's there's roles for women, and I find that they're both kind of coinciding as well. But I still think television probably has a lot more roles for women my age, you know, that are meaty and fun to do. Yeah, well, that's interesting there that you say that, you know, with the independent film scene and all, you've got to pretty much do a majority of your uh, prep work prior to uh, showing up to do the work. Uh, does that, yeah. Do you think that uh, allows you to be on your A game when you show up to do what you're being paid to do? I do. Like, I, and I just, you know, my, my training is a, a lot of prep. I mean, I think there's actors out there that like to wing it or they feel like that's more alive in the moment, but I get more alive in the moment the more I rehearse. So I like to know my lines backwards and forwards and I like to know, um, I like to get deeply involved in the character so that whatever's thrown at me, I can, I know what my character might do or, and, I think that that frees me up to be completely in the moment, all that prep. So, and I work with actors that like to wing it, and that's their deal. It's not my deal, but that they feel like that keeps them more alive. I feel like I get more alive the more work I do, the more truth it gets revealed, and all of that for me personally. But do you feel that you have the flexibility to maybe deal with improv a little bit? You know, with Knowing your character backwards, forwards, and whatever direction you want to look at. Yeah, I do. I do. I think that it gives you the ability, or it gives me the ability to be very flexible to like whatever situations get thrown at me on a set. Um, yeah, I do. I think all that prep work does it, and I just think um, also, you know, sometimes when you're working with new directors, they don't necessarily know how to help an actor get to an emotional place or the truth of a scene so I feel like it's best to come fully prepared and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised and uh, there is more guidance on the set but sometimes there's not so I think it's good to show up with the goods. 
Now, usually when you go into a project, and um, the emotional attachment you just mentioned there, or emotional scenes and stuff, uh, like when you're reading the script or whatever it is, how available prior to going in is, say, writers or the director or you know, the people you're going to be working with to say, when you're going over to stuff and, hey, how do you want me to approach X, Y, and Z, you know, depending on what you're seeing on the paper? Right. I think I've been really lucky. I think um, I have a three movies that I'm doing by the end of this year, and all three of those directors um, are super available to me for any questions. Like when I start working on the character and I'm like, wait a minute, how did this person become this? And they are, they're great at helping me kind of fill in backstory and what their intention was when they wrote it and, um, you know, any questions I have. So I've been really lucky this year, especially. Um, uh, and then uh, last year, this as a movie that I did, The Id came out, and that the writer and director of that film, they were both very available to me during the entire process and after. And so I've, I've been lucky the last couple of years with that sort of um, attention to detail from the writer and director and their availability before and before shooting, especially, which is nice. Now, another thing I found very interesting uh, about you, well, there was actually two things. <laughs> doing some, when I did some reading, because God forbid I actually listened to our parents and learned how to read. Uh, <laughs> First and foremost, that you actually, as a child, wanted to become a lawyer before you ended up doing some stage stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Have you, what, such a drastic change there, huh? Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> yes, what was I thinking? Good God. Yeah, um, I did, and then at some point I was like, well, I'll just play one on TV. <laughs> And, and not an intelligent choice. Yeah. Pardon me. What did you, What did you say? I I said, and if it's on network TV, the money's even better than the. <laughs> and I don't. Well, I don't know. But, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's as consistent as a lawyer, but um, yeah. yeah. I. I <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I'm not asking. I'm not the IRS. Trust me on that one. So, <laughs> But uh, the other thing I found interesting, too, was when that you were, I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth or, because I read a previous interview, that you were almost scared shitless when you read the script for Nightmare, and that you had never actually seen a horror film prior to going into making it, but yet you were a fan of books such as throwers, and it had some horror themes to it. What's the story yeah. behind that? Well, it just, um, I grew where I grew up, and like my little beach town I grew up in, it, it, there was one little theater. They didn't play horror films. And, you know, back in that day, kind of slasher-type horror films weren't shown on television. And I'd seen Wait Until Dark, and I'd seen, you know, old black and white, like, Dracula and things like that, or that. but um, but I'd read the others and um, Stephen King and um, oh my gosh, and I joined blanks, but I was really a fan of, of the, you know like The Exorcist and scary books and 
so when I read Nightmare, I was like, what? Um, that it was in this script was so scary. It was, well, Wes is such a great writer. And, um, so when I went in and met with Wes, that's what we talked about was, you know, scary books and, um, and things like that. And then, you know, he was like, well, you know, when, you know, a horror film, you still approach it like a regular, you know, like a drama. You want it, the more alive and real you are in it, the more scared the audience will be. And um, yeah. so that was my – so he taught me. <laughs> yeah, because obviously when you film your death scene, you know, and this story's been told and whatnot, that you had uh, kind of freaked out a little bit, but Wes stuck his head through the window or whatever it was during the setup. That, well, come down here, you're up there, you know, that whole gimmick there. Yeah. Because room on a stage there. Yeah, well, you know what, it was, you know, we were, it was a rotating room and I got completely disoriented and, uh, was pretty freaked out. And so I could tell, you know, it's a low budget film. We didn't have a lot of time to shoot all that stuff. And, uh, so Wes was like, all right, stop. And he came in and he was like, oh my gosh, this is completely disoriented. Okay. So let's, you know, and then we just took it a little bit more cautiously and and then we created that awesome scene that is like it's just so real and sad i mean i i i was i watched a panel once of um uh horror filmmakers and somebody and i don't remember who it was uh said something and it's it's stuck with me all these years that really great horror is intrinsically sad and that's so true and I think that the movies that we're really moved by, um, horror-wise, are, are really emotionally sad. And I think the character Tina in Nightmare on Elm Street, from beginning to her death, is an incredibly sad character that hooks the audience. Like, it, it, she gets to you. And I think then that, that death scene becomes even more brutal and sad. And, and then you realize, kind of unconsciously, that I've literally been fighting Freddy for 20 minutes. And... um the first 20 minutes of the film. And, and that's, all of that is, is very heartbreaking, really. And I think so culminating in that death scene, which was really powerful. Um, and it's gone, you know, it's been on the Oscars twice, on the, every list of the best death scenes. And I mean, that's just, um, it was good filmmaking on Wes's part, I think. Yeah. Well, we actually, you know, we're recording this after Labor Day and second week of September and all that. But recently, we just passed uh, last month the second anniversary. Or I think yeah, I think that's right off the top of my head. Uh, Wes's passing. Uh, yeah. When did you uh, find out mm-hmm. about Wes's passing? I was in England actually with Robert England, and uh, I got a call in the middle of the night uh, from. Tommy Hudson, who directed me in the id, and also was the producer of the Never Sleep Again documentary, and uh, wanted to tell me, you know, that Wes had passed, so I didn't see it or hear about it from somebody that I didn't know, because we were about, Robert and I were heading to a convention, or to a, a Comic-Con in, in uh, I forget where, uh, in, in England. Anyway, um, so it was really... It was, I was like really sad and I stayed up that whole night and was just thinking about, you know, 
Wes and my, you know, basic life with him. And I've known him since I was so young. And so it was really, um, his passing was, it was a really sad and a great loss, you know, to the community and to the people who loved him. And, uh, boy, he really lived and accomplished all the things he wanted to do and lived really well and had a really vibrant, amazing life that gave so much to others. And there's great, um, comfort in that. And the kicker for me was I recently, you know, because of the anniversary and whatnot, had seen an interview Robert did, and Robert's a friend of the show and whatnot, great guy. He mentioned on Larry King, on his, uh, on Orca TV or whatever his new outlet is, Robert right. had mentioned that nobody had known that Wes was even sick, which even, was even more uh, flabbergasted that even the people that knew the man, <clears throat> I think Robert mentioned something like a broken leg or something. You know, they, they, they didn't think anything was that serious going on. Right. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't privy. I wasn't privy to that information before. But nobody, yeah. nobody knew that he was as bad off as he was. But, yeah. You know, we have a lot to so. remember him by, uh, for sure. But I heard, and I don't know if it's rumor and innuendo, but did you actually pass up a uh, chance to be in New Nightmare? Um, you know what? I wasn't. I wasn't really offered a role in New Nightmare. They wanted me to come and be an extra or something at a grave site, and um, I was like, "All right." And then they didn't really offer me money to do it. They it was like some ridiculous offer. Like they offered me like fifty dollars or something really insulting, and I was like, um, "No, thank you." <laughs> I, um, I was in the movie that helped build this franchise. I think, you know, so I wasn't really offered anything. Um, I passed on really it amounted to nothing um and um and I found it really insulting that that was all they offered me <laughs> quite yeah, frankly especially because you were one of the uh founding uh females of it for sure as you said that yeah they were you know I don't know if it was production people or you know they on the business side they're going like you know I think if you could have been involved. Either you could have picked up the phone and called Wes or Heather or whoever and say, hey, you won't believe this uh, half-assed offer they, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think he knew. Yeah. I don't think he knew anything about it, and I was like, whatever, you know. Yeah. yeah, And, and, you know, clearly Wes didn't, I mean, sadly didn't, I mean, he didn't write me a role for that movie, so I don't think he really cared whether I was in it or not. Yeah, but, you know. You weren't asking to make, you know, ten million dollars, but don't insult me either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't really care for doing cameos. It's not really my thing. Yeah. So yeah. The other project I wanted to ask about quickly was Tommy Hudson's ID. Um, yes. Fine. And I, I noticed you notice a little bit with Nightmare as well too, but with ID there was a. It's a real psychological uh, piece, and what do you uh, find different with psychological pieces like that compared to uh, other projects there? Well, okay, first, it's called The Id. It's like the 
the id, the ego, the super ego. No, that's okay. Don't worry. And, um, yeah, it was, gosh, that was a really fun experience, which is a weird thing to say because the movie's so disturbing. But um, we just had a great time uh, creating that. Um, well, you know what? That piece was so, um, that movie, that script is just so, so disturbing. And, um, gosh, it, it was just, it was hard to let it go really afterwards. Like, I, I mean, you had to, I had to go to, to make that make sense. You really had to kind of disappear into the character and find, like, it be really raw and available. And so I found, like, that was a little more, you know, it was a little more exhausting than, than some films could be just because the character I played was mentally unstable. And um, that was, you know, it, it was just such a dark piece. So it was, we were on location, so I kind of just could stay in that zone of, that character, Meredith. Um, but I think I think that it's not really different than other pieces. But that that role was just so dark and disturbed that it uh, took a little more out of me. As far as um, you know, I was pretty exhausted. I mean, not like somebody that's out fighting fires or doing something really heroic. But for me, as just a, a silly actor. All back down that really exhausting, but it was really rewarding at the same time. But the, you know, when you have those type of uh, dark roles and such, you know, yeah. when they all cut for the day, can you can you separate yourself and go, okay, I'm done that role. It's time to be Amanda now. It's you know, right? You know what? I I do I do to a degree, but there's a a little like hook that I you you that I find that I keep in the character until I'm wrapped shooting the entire film because sometimes you go like with the id and some other roles that I've had and roles that are coming up. Like you, I kind of go down a rabbit hole to find the truth and the nuts and bolts and guts of the character. And so it's like, I, I don't stay in the rabbit hole, but I keep a little cord hooked in there. So it's easier to, I can step back into it each day. And then when I'm done, I sort of release the whole thing. But so, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I'm me and I do my thing. But there's a little piece that stays hooked in because it's, especially on those darker characters, it's I, it's a little difficult to, you know, just keep re, to reinvent it every day, to re to dig down. Like, it's, it's just easier to keep a little hook in there so that you can kind of slide back in and, find that space again, I find, for me anyway. Yeah, instead of going from zero to 100 every day, you're mm-hmm. only going maybe 50 to 100. You're not, you're not. Exactly. Yeah, so that makes sense yeah. uh, with the hook there. Yeah. Uh, but like we said, you know, her schedule, if she's in your area, and she's going to be covering a lot of the area, uh, especially on the one side of the Mississippi over the next uh, month or so, month and a half, two months. Yeah. Sure check out her schedule at amandawiss.com or, and follow her on Twitter at underscore Amanda Wiss. Amanda, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, and, and I hope you have a great day.
I'll tell you what's up. Based out of Atlantic City, New Jersey, Geek Time Entertainment runs exclusively along with different events in the area to strategize with their partners who will benefit with increased exposure and patron traffic. Geek Time Entertainment will work with your event in increasing the event's traffic via social media, radio, and storefront advertisements. Holy cow! Also, they will help increase business for your company and event with different sales incentives. Duh. Whether your event will be small or even mid-scale, Geek Time Entertainment is the group to work with. That's what I'm talking about. Contact them today at geektimeentertainment at gmail.com or facebook.com backslash geektimeentertainment. Oh my god, who the hell cares? Hi, this is Amanda Wist, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.